salutes Summer. It's Dan. Welcome to Eventually Super Train, episode 101. If you're listening to these episodes as they come out, this is the first one you're hearing in 2021. I took January off, as I always do, and I'm back here in the first half of February. And we are diving. I'm going to dive right in. I'm going to dive right in. This is a short-lived TV show podcast. It covers uh, short-lived TV shows, uh, most mostly U.S. shows, uh, that never got enough love. Eventually, we will cover Super Train. We go three shows at a time, three episodes at a time. Usually, uh, there are at least two guest hosts joining me, and I usually go solo on one show. Although, not always. Sometimes, there are three guest hosts. Um, this time, we are beginning with uh, Mitchell Hadley, who is back to talk episode two of Search. And then the great Kristen Hawes, Kiki Wrights, and myself will be discussing episode 12 of Auto Man. And then I will be discussing, all by myself, the seventh and final episode of On the Air. Yay! So that means next uh, next episode we're going to have a brand new old show uh, join us, and which is always fun. So uh, let, let's dive right in. I think this episode is a bit of a long one. Um, it's, uh, oh boy... Um, it's uh, the last episodes, first episodes always are. Plus, we got pretty chatty over Search and Auto Man. So, um, let us dive right in, and we're going back to 1972 and Search. Probes is Missing, Episode 2 of Search, September 20th, 1972, directed by Philip Leacock, written by Leslie Stevens. This is the first of the episodes with Tony Franciosa as our probe agent, a probe agent named Nick Bianco. And in this one, a probe agent named Arthur Burrell is investigating a counterfeiting case and I believe he's in the UK, and he goes missing. So Bianco is sent over there to figure out what's going on. What they, they basically learn is that someone is printing um, American currency that is technically not counterfeit. And we'll, we'll talk about this more as we get into it, but, but Bianco has to go to, I believe it's the UK, um, and he has to, uh, he goes to Europe, and he uh, begins to investigate with the help of a, of a lovely young lady working in the Treasury Department, and begins to investigate, talking to a bunch of kind of a sleazy mobstery guy, a strange, a psychic medium lady, trying to find out um, who it is who is putting out this 
kind of real money and what they're up to. And I won't go any, any deeper into it than that. that. That's about all you need to know. Um, because basically, if they put out too much of this money, it's going to destroy the economy of the world. And so there you go. So Mitchell and I are on the other end of this blast of music. We talk all over this one. See you there. One of our probes is missing. Episode 2 of Search, everybody. We are in... Well, like I already just went over in great detail where we are, where we are exactly this. We are in September of 1972. The, yeah, one of our probes is missing. The first one uh, with one of the other probe agents uh, who we will talk about, who I mentioned briefly, Bianco. Um, the, we'll, we'll talk about him more here. And I have with me the great, the wonderful, the ever-present, the almighty, awesome guy, Mitchell Hadley. How are you, sir? Oh, I well after that I am I'm overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm excited to, uh, to talk a little more search as I've uh, as I've said before, and I will probably say again. Uh, this this is one of my uh, favorite uh, short-lived shows, possibly in the vicinity of one of my favorite shows. Possibly, I really enjoy it, and um, I'm, I, I enjoyed our last discussions. Uh, and I'm 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 interested to see now that we're on the the new probe agent, uh, Bianco, Mister Mister Franciosa. Uh, what what did you what did you think of this episode? I mean, in in your in your own time, um, we will. I'll do I'll do a countdown for you. I'll start at one, and um, will you can either discuss the episode first or what you thought of Bianco or the either way it's your choice so I will wow. give you I will give you a countdown from one starting now one well I think that uh, um, Bianco I mean Tony Franciosa makes just an explosive debut in this story and right away you're given a fully formed character uh, you don't need a backstory you don't need a lot of explanation what you do understand is that this is a very tough guy and that he doesn't make threats he makes promises and you don't want to get on the wrong side of him it's probably one of the more impressive inaugural scenes that i have seen an actor make in a tv series in a long time and i've never had a strong feeling one way or the other about uh Tony Franciosa as an actor before, but uh, the combination of the this suave, slightly smarmy charm and this temper not uh, temper is a wrong word because it sounds like you're he's a guy who loses his temper. He doesn't. Uh, you just don't want to cross him, and it's a great opening, and uh, we see it a couple of other times during the episode that you understand this is a guy that means what he says. And I really like that. I thought that it's it's a uh, terrific uh, contrast to what we saw in the uh, movie and the first episode with Hugh O'Brien. I would presume that it's going to be a contrast to what we see with Doug McClure as well. But from the beginning, I saw this, and I was uh, thoroughly prepared to like this episode, and I did. Yeah, I I, uh, I, I like when Bianca shows up because he very much he is. Yeah, he's 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 the I believe he's an ex cop, and he ha has that yeah. sort of feel to him. The, the ex cop who's like sort of uh, retired, 
and like they sort of went to him and said, um, "Hey, would you like to uh, do this secret agent type thing?" And he's like, "Sure." And they're like, "But you have to keep acting the way you act. We don't want you to act like a, a super suave guy or something like that. We want you to come <laughs> in and kick kick everyone around and do your stuff. And you know, like you said, be a little smarmy on occasion. You know, but get in and get the job done. And um, because we have different uh, we have different cases for different people." And the sort of case you'll be in here is something for you. Yep, and and there's a scene very early on where he's um, talking to a a contact, a source, I suppose you would say, and with whom he's actually on fairly good terms, although you wouldn't know it when he says that if he doesn't come across with the information, he's going to take the serving tray and <laughs> shove it in his mouth sideways. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife, my wife, who is watching this with me, says, and I bet he will, too. So. <laughs> yes, yes, he will. And it's, 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 it's great because it really is, like right off the bat, like you said, that opening scene with him in the bar with that guy where he kind of mm-hmm. beats the crap out of the guy and like pours like a three pounds of checks mix on his face to get information from him kind of thing. That's the rough stuff. Yeah, I like lucky. check mix, but not like that. No, that guy is just lucky that uh, Cameron called Bianco. Yes, yes. And he did because mm-hmm. it would have been it would have gone south even quicker than it was going. Oh yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> I think we I think we would have seen an imprint of his face in the bar top. Yes, <laughs> yes. And um, for starters, yes. And and the, the 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 fun thing to me about the the case in this episode is that it's um uh it's about like like I said in the plot breakdown it's about counterfeit bills that aren't actually technically counterfeit bills and it's about uh Bianco going to London so it's it's great because in the in the probe um TV movie um Lockwood who is very suave secret agent he probably you know he's like he's been James Bonding his whole life kind yes. of thing mm-hmm. um he he gets to go to I think he went to Switzerland I forget exactly where he went in um in in, in I the think program. you're right, but in the previous episode, the Morrow disappearance, he stays in like the Washington D.C. area. He doesn't leave the U.S. But here we get to see Bianca, who's kind of rough around the edges, go to London and um you know destroy a, a floral display that apparently is up getting big business at like eleven o'clock at night. I guess that the British they will buy flowers any time of the day or night. And well, as long as as long as there's a lapel without a boutonniere, yes. you'll have an open flower shop. You got that's probably that's probably like a royal flower stand or something like that. <laughs> I expected to see. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, actually, we haven't. Uh, they don't show you the parts of the documentaries where Henry Fond is saying, "Wherever there's a, la- uh, <laughs> a lapel without a boutonniere, boutonniere I'll yes. be there." Yeah. <laughs> but that speech got trimmed. But yes, uh, yes. it still still works. It still works. Um, and and I like that they they send him out there. And of course, um, you know, he hooks up with the gal who's Stephanie Powers. So he yes, goes to not London. Not just any gal. Yes. yes, not not just any gal, but Stephanie Powers. Um, and you know, saves the entire currency of the world. Nice. That's it's remarkable. Mm-hmm. That, that's pretty sweet. What did you What did you think of like the the storyline and such in this one? 
Well, it was a very intriguing premise, this mm-hmm. idea that you've got counterfeit bills, but they aren't counterfeit bills. They're genuine, but that can't possibly be, but it is. Mm-hmm. And it sets up one of those nice Holmesian situations where you, you're trying to rule out the impossible, and whatever is left has to be the truth, no matter how improbable it is. So how do you have these bills that are and aren't real at the same time. And he does a nice job of uh, disseminating this information, going through the process of tracking down these very colorful characters that yes. the, in the supporting cast. Uh, one of the things that, that I like about this series right away is the guest star list, and uh, I would be saying that even without Stephanie Powers, sure. but with but, well, you know, I mean you gotta have your priorities right, but uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> but I think that you you know you've got a you've got a uh, a fortune teller mm-hmm. you've got um Milton Seltzer who I love watching in in shows like this because he's always such a vivid character. You have Larry Linville in almost yes. a throwaway appearance. Yes, you're like, oh, Frank Burns, right, bef- yeah. right before he went to Korea for 11 years. Oh, well, he was there for 11, however yes. many years, he four or five years that, that Frank went, yeah. <laughs> but I, th- and, and so you've, you, and, and you're right, at the bottom of all this, you have a, a real interesting problem which is the ability to be able to flood the market with this money uh force the world markets to decide that they can't rely on any of it being mm-hmm. genuine and the american economy crashes yes so yeah. there's there there is a lot of danger mm-hmm. in this in this premise and uh i think that uh, the way the way nick goes through all of this and uh, eliminates things and gets on the trail and uh, handles it it very well. I I never for a minute feel as if he is in over his head. Yes. And that's a valuable quality to have in a hero, I think. Yeah, maybe you want them to be vulnerable, but I've always preferred my heroes to be (laughs) in control. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, even even when yeah, even when he doesn't like like when it starts off, you know, it's it's the question like we said like this isn't really fake money technically. So so it's like the question of of what is going on and then gradually we learn it and he goes to various assorted places with great colorful I mean Alan Garfield's was it Mr. Z yeah. Who's just this great <laughs> sleazy character who always seems to be like eating something kind of like greasy. So whenever like Bianca beats him up, you get a close up of Alan Garfield's face and he's got like grease around his lips from what he's been eating. It's like just, just, it's like that's as that's as sleazy as it got with sleazy guys in nineteen seventy two on television, folks. Yeah, it, that it, long, long, long sideburns. Yes, yes, yes. And um you know, there's long, there's long, then and then there's, there's really long. Really long, <laughs> yes, Mr. Z long. <laughs> and, um, yes. uh, and so, yeah, there there is kind of a great mystery to it where it's, um, he, he kind of just goes from spot to spot, and in each spot he kind of learns um, a new a new little bit of information that leads him to the next spot where he gets a little bit more, and then he's able to start piecing everything together. And then he has even, he has a... <clears throat> 
a great. It's not. Um, it's not like a Columbo type moment, really. I was. I was. Um, but but when I watched it again this morning, um, there's. Um, you know the uh, the Columbo episode. One of my favorites. Uh, well, actually, two of my favorites. I'll say. Um, one of them is the one with um, Robert Culp as the sports manager. Yes, I forget the name of it, but it ends with him and Columbo like in a box, like um up up above like the football game or something, and mm-hmm. like Col- Columbo is replaying uh, the recording of a phone call, and basically saying, "Listen," and Robert comes like, "What are you doing? No, no, no! You'll listen to this. You'll hear everything you need." And for like two minutes, we sit there with Robert Culp thinking. What are, what are we? What is he doing? What's going on? What's happening? What's going on? And then when when the the little zing happens, you're like, nice. <laughs> and then there's yes. the episode. I think it's playback. Uh, I forget the actor's name who's the killer, but it's the one with Gina Rollins in the wheelchair. Oh yeah, yeah. And, I I I don't remember the character either, but I know who you mean. He's sort of, he's German. He or he's some sort of Teutonic fellow, and he's he's <laughs> he's all about um, uh, 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 surveillance. He's got all the cameras set up in the house, and the ending of that is a variation on the Robert Culp ending, where Columbo says, "I figured out how you did it. Watch this videotape," and you watch like a minute and a half of a videotape that we've already seen. But now we, along with the killer, are sitting there going, "What but are we, we looking have at?" It. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and and in this one, there's a great moment where Bianco kind of figures out what's going on, and he he has them take with it with his little camera. He has them take a picture of the not the fake bill, but the bill that should the bill that shouldn't be. That's like a Lovecraftian yes. thing, the bill that shouldn't be, and, <laughs> and 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 it's like, and he basically like. And, and you see it like on the big screen in, in probe headquarters, and it's just like a like a thirty forty second scene where everyone's like, "What are we looking at?" No, no, look into there, look there. What are we looking at? And they just keep getting deeper and deeper, and it blowing it up more. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I guess it's like blow up, <laughs> you know, the movie blow up in some respects. You know, it's just it's bigger and bigger, and you're looking at it going, "What am I?" And then you see it, and it's like, okay. There you go. And so he gets that little nice moment where he gets the zing moment. And, um, and of course, he gets the gal in the end, and he gets a shootout, and he gets to punch some guys. So you get everything you want from a secret really, agent. You really do. Uh, and I, I, I agree with you completely on that aha moment, because when you, when you see when you see what it is that he's looking for, all of a sudden the things that he's been doing to lead up to this moment begin to make sense, and you sit back and you say, ah, so that's where he was going with all this. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he does it very well. Yes, and and it's nice, nice too, because one of the things... Now, I don't know... This is this isn't a mystery. I mean, um, there is a reason why you know there this this money is out there. I I um because I because because part of me like I I don't know if I mind spoiling these because it's not really a mystery. You know they no. they it's a uh, so so I would like to say one of the things that I also love about this is that when you get to the point where they find out who it is who's doing this, it's basically two brothers and a sister. And the brother, mm-hmm. one brother, is dead, and he ba- basically. And I mean, this isn't going to ruin it for you, folks, but you may want to hop ahead a minute or two if you think it might. But he basically, he used to be. Um, I wrote down what it was. He was WGG two one two, or is it WG six two one two? Working for the Federal Treasury, which means he's one of the people who used they used to destroy damaged plates uh, for money for currency, and he stole a hundred dollar plate. 
that had a crack in it, a very small crack. But his brother was a metallurgist and was able to generally, not always, but kind of like fix it, sort of, so people couldn't quite, not really, but sort of, enough enough so that no one could tell until Bianco does his shtick in the back of the car. Um, and it's sort of like, but but the brother who stole the thing dies, and the other brother like runs a jeweler's shop, and he's doing the counterfeiting in the back, and it all ties in with why the probe went missing, because he was kind of on the trail of that. And um, and then they have their sister, who's a psychic, who still believes the brother is sort of alive, the dead one. And it's all just really, like you said, it's kind of a wonderful eccentric because you you expect it like when you when you go to the club and you meet Mr. Z and then like a car tries to run Bianco down and then you know you're meeting Stephanie Powers in the Treasury and it's all good stuff. <laughs> and ask my check anytime. <laughs> and, and it's it's almost like you expect it to go like into a, 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 a sort of a James Bond route or something like that where you'll meet like this evil mastermind who is uh, you know out to do so whether it's a mastermind with like specter or whether it's say like from around this time the drug dealers of live and let die you expect it to be something like big but then you learn in the end that like when they actually talk to them it's not they just you know their brother stole this thing and said hey you can make some money so they're doing that, and it's like it's like they're almost like little kids who don't quite realize that this thing they're doing is going to screw up a lot of things. And so, so it's kind of neat when they get to the point where you learn what's going on, you learn why they're doing it, and they're not these. This it isn't this number four. I've been talking to you about what's going on in Peru. We're missing four billion dollars. No, number one, I got. Don't throw your evil cat at me. Blofeld never threw an evil cat at everyone, as far as I can remember, in a James Bond film. <laughs> um, but he does kill that one guy in Thunderball, who um, like number five or six, um, when they have their big meeting. Um, yes. But the, but I love the fact that in this one, when they get to it, it's not um, you know it's 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 not uh, it's not like we we want to take down the nation, the currency of the nations, and throw everything into uproar. No, it's uh, you know my brother stole a plate. Let's make some cash. And and so so it's kind of this kind of banal 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 sort of um, thing for uh, the uh, explanation for it that I I kind of thought was actually pretty charming, yeah, <laughs> sort of. It's, it's it's kind of a mom and pop counterfeiting exactly. operation. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what what uh, to circle back to how I was uh, started off talking about this. That's one of the things that really works well here is because you have these eccentrics and in a different series or under other circumstances, you could kind of play them for laughs, but you keep getting pulled back to, and keep getting grounded on this by the realization of how high the stakes are. Yes. And and that's the other thing about about uh, Bianco in this is that he never loses sight of that either. That he knows quite well how important this is and how destructive it could be, and uh, handles it uh, as I said very well. I um, I uh, liked this episode a lot more than I expected to. 
Mm. Again, not because I had any, not because I didn't uh, expect to like him or because I had any preconceived notions, but I think I was surprised at how much I liked him in mm. this. Yeah, I, um, it, it yeah, yeah, like I said, a long time ago when I, a long time ago, in a, in a actually was in this room. <laughs> I'm, I'm recording, the, I watched it in the same room the first time. But, but, but when it, when Bianca sort of came up in, in this episode, I thought, okay, where's this going to go? And it, it is like, like you said, it's like the, the psychic, the, the slightly crazy psychic sister who kind of believes her brother's still alive. And maybe he does speak to her from beyond the grave. I don't know. Um, and then the kind of, you know the the metallurgist brother doing his jewelry. So, mm, yes, I can have a look at that. Mm, yes, well, that's like that. You know, and they're 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 bordering on um, sort of uh, not quite camp, but kind of um, almost um, almost caricature type characters. Almost almost like I almost want to say that the kind of characters you'd find around this time, like an Italian giallo. Like an Argento film yeah. or mm-hmm. something like that, you know, like in like Bird with a Crystal Plumage or like a Deep Well, Deep Red was a few years later. But what, you know, like the, the the person who's investigating always comes across these really weird people. Yeah. That's just that's yeah. just the thing, you know. What I think, like Bird with a Crystal Plumage, I think isn't there like a guy who lives like halfway up an abandoned building, surrounded by cats or something? It's just you meet all these weird eccentric characters, and that's kind of sort of what's happening here. You know, I think he. I almost feel like he, you know, he he went there. He's given this this fun little pamphlet about currency in the United States. Did you, did you see that when he was on the plane? And it was, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, uh, he, you know, he's reading that, and um, uh, and it, it was funny because it doesn't look like it's the most best prepared sort of pamphlet. All I could think of was like. Um, uh, airplane and um, do you have anything to read, stewardess? Uh, what, what are we looking for? Something light. Here, famous Jewish sports legends. It looks like it looks like kind of a um, like a like a like a you know, kind of a slightly chintzy pamphlet that they like. <laughs> Just give him something. Give him something to read on the plane because he's always complaining. And but but it's great because when he arrives, like I like I said, it's. It's 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 a lot of fun because when you see Mr. Z, you think, oh, okay, this kind of guy. Okay, we're in like another club. We were in a club last time, but then you start to meet the other characters, and things just start to get weird. And then when people start to like threaten their lives, uh, Bianco and Stephanie Powers' characters' um, life, you know, it's it's like you don't, you're it's a, you're you're a little off kilter because like the people who are trying to kill them don't really sort of match the people who are actually doing this because I think the people who are doing it know mm-hmm. they're doing a bad thing, but they, 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 apart from they did kidnap the probe agent. Sure. But there's sort of a difference like in like the sort of like organized crime sort of, um, craziness that they think is going on. And like you said, this mom pop counterfeiting organization yep. that that's going to screw up everything. And it's a nice, it's, it's it's really nicely done because you don't really know that it's going to go that way because when you meet this well I, I thought that and then I'll I'll stop yakking and let you chat for a moment um, uh, because I like it be, because like when you meet like the psychic the first scene when you meet the psychic you don't really learn much it's re, it's the sort of repeated uh, visits that give you a little more but when you meet the psychic she does really seem to be just like a secondary character who maybe is going to give you a little clue you don't realize that her and her brother are doing this and yeah. and it's it's like it's 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 really um 
it's really quite nice that I applaud Leslie Stevens. His, um, you know, he he wrote the uh, he wrote the Probe TV movie, wrote the previous episode, he wrote this one, and and I think a very very strong, very strong writing. I agree completely, and I think that um, he showed great restraint in that uh, Stephanie Powers character is named Jill Davenport, and uh, uh, Bianca is perfectly capable of having told Cameron, I have to go and uh, stretch out on the Davenport for oh, a while, boy. or something like that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we could have got the I Davenport think, gag we that, needed. Uh, yeah, all credit to uh, Leslie Stevens for um, for avoiding that and leaving it to uh, smart asses like us or Mystery <laughs> Science Theater to come up with something like that. Yes. <laughs> but uh, one... one <laughs> Oh, please. One more thing. Yeah, I just was going to say one uh, slightly more serious note than that is that uh, she is really a good companion for him because when they're seeing the psychic and the psychic doesn't want to give any information or doesn't want to give the right kind of information, and uh, Jill lays it out on the line that, look, I'm, you know, with the internal revenue, uh, we're going to audit all of your books and put you in prison for the rest of your natural life. Mm -hmm. And she, she shows in that that she's every bit the equal of uh, mm-hmm. of him, she's not going to be the screaming damsel in distress. Yes. yes. And then in the climactic action scene when she pulls out her gun and starts <laughs> shooting at the bad guys, you know, you know this. Yes. Uh, there there are few more deadly combinations in the world than a beautiful woman who knows how to use a gun. <laughs> and this is and. Uh, She's very good in that yes. situation, and I yes. I applaud them for introducing a very strong female character. Yes, yeah, she is she is she is very good. And I was going to um, I forget what I was going to say. That no, you made you made you made a very good point. <laughs> I uh, I had another I had another point I was going to make, and it was about I don't remember. It was it, it was um uh oh I I was actually going to mention the direction of it real quick. So I think it's well directed. It's a well paced episode. But one of the things I noticed that they do, they may have done it in the previous episode, but they do it several times here. Did you notice all the stuff they did like with with um deep focus and like the lenses and like yes. the like so there so there's a lens here folks and you probably are going to tell me to stop talking about this, but um but I haven't talked about it yet. Knock it off. I was I was anticipating people telling me to stop talking about it. So sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's there's a lens called the split diopter lens, and <clears throat> now you can have in a shot like I'm looking at a shot right here with the gal, uh, one of the gals at the computer in the foreground, and Burgess Meredith is in the background. And although it's dark all around them, they're lit up really well, so they're both in focus. But normally, you get a lot of you would get a lot of you know focus pulling. That's when you have someone in the foreground and the background isn't in focus, and then all of a sudden, like the focus adjusts and the person in the front goes. I, you you know what I'm talking about. Um, that's mm-hmm. what when you look at when you look in the the credits of a movie, focus puller is the person who like if a camera's panning, they're the ones who adjust the focus to keep what's meant to be in focus in focus. 
but there's another um and and one of the ways you do deep focus like citizen kane is always um called out um in a good way you know for deep focus shots with like folks in the foreground and background and it's lit in such a way where you can keep everyone in focus and in this they use uh in some scenes they use what's called the split diopter lens i brian de palma used it a lot around this time um and i know it best actually from bob clark's black christmas which came out in 74 uh the very fun proto slasher film with uh margot kidder kier Dulay, andrea martin olivia hussey uh john saxon and there's a scene in that there might be more than one but the scene that always comes to me is there's a scene where all the sorority girls and the fraternity guys throw a christmas party for some local kids and the shot is the left side of the screen sort of in the background you see a very unhappy frat boy dressed as santa with kids sitting on his lap and on the right side of the screen in the foreground you see margot kidder trying to get a little kid to drink some brandy and and they're they're quite some distance from each other but they're both in focus and they they react to one another during the shot and in the center of the shot you can see there's a brief line which is basically out of focus and that's the way the slit diopter works is it's a lens that i'm not going to get too technical but it's a lens where you can put something way up in the foreground on one side way in the background on the other and because of the way the lens works you can keep them both in focus the the drawback is at some point in the center of the frame there is going to be i don't know why I, this is the way it works there's a little bit out of focus and you'll see it in this there are more than there's more than one occasion in the in the probe control where you will see someone's face right up in the frame and then on the right side of the screen on the left side of the screen the right side of the screen you'll see people at like another desk like maybe 10 feet away everyone's in focus but right in the middle of the screen there'll be like a little squiggle that looks a little weird and it's out of focus and that's a split diopter lens and that is not something you see a lot of in television and uh, i certainly can't think of a lot of shows that have used that lens and it's a very um it's one of those things that when when you're watching it it's like okay this guy's in the foreground you see the guys there in the background they're doing their thing but then when you actually think about it for a minute you're like how are they all in focus because that requires a lot of lighting and that requires a lot of this but with that lens they can do that and they do that in this episode four or five times maybe a little more and every time they do it it's like wow that's that's not something that you would normally see at least that i know of i can't think of it in another show like this it's just it's kind of a neat extra because it it puts the probe control area in kind of this weird space it's already in this weird giant room but now we're getting this like lens you don't normally use and it's cool and and there there is actually one great shot too where um in the scene they're talking to stephanie powers and 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 bianca are talking to mr z and tony uh bianco is right up in the foreground almost looking at the camera and and mr z is on the left in the background and stephanie powers character is on the right in the background and everyone's in focus and it's really nice because this like for a show that was probably shot very quickly those shots aren't easy to do and so um i applaud them for doing that they didn't have to but it gives kind of a nice theatrical feel to it that i like well that's very interesting i didn't know that that's what that was called or the technical things behind it so i appreciate uh knowing about that and i i agree that it was um a very polished look and very stylish yes. and um it 
it fits in quite well with a show where there is such an emphasis on technology and how things look. And uh, so that's a very good description of what that accounts for. Yeah, and it is nice to see uh, the... um the gang in in the in probe control you know they're doing their business they're it's uh, it's interesting because in some episodes we'll spend more time in probe control and in others we won't this one bianco seems to be pretty much in charge of most of it so they don't do mm-hmm. they don't seem to do a lot of going back to probe which is fine you don't have to some episodes we're going to but um so it is nice obviously it's always nice to see burgess meredith there unfortunately no angel tompkins no in this episode. i was i was uh, mourning that as well yeah but, that was uh, uh, it does sport. make sense. It does make sense, though, would, that this has to be a big organization. And she probably, I mean, when we saw her in the previous episode, she had got promoted. Yes. So there's every good chance she wouldn't be in that same spot anymore. She'd be, she'd be maybe even, even in Cameron's spot or something like that, another um, space. Well, I'd like to see her, though, anyways. Come on. We all like, we all like Angel. <laughs> she uh, so is an angel. A- angel, Stephanie, we love them all. Um, so, um, so I guess I mean we could talk about this for another half an hour still. I think, but um, what 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 else do you have just that really grabbed you about this one, or any background or anything? Well, no, I uh, I don't really have much to add to that. I would just um, I, I would say that uh, one of the things about the series in general is that if you're looking for heavily layered, complex storylines, that isn't the kind of a show that this is. You mentioned that it isn't really a mystery, and you're right about that. And I think that part of it is because you have to give it equal uh, billing with the technical side of things. And that is a huge part of the appeal of this show, is having the hero walking into a situation, getting all of this information in his ear uh, from from the uh, from the probe people who can tell him so much of what's going on. Yes. And um, that that really, I think, uh, accentuates the story a great deal. And you need to be able to leave time for that element of it. Yes. So I'm glad, really, that they don't make the the stories more complex or complicated than they are because it wouldn't work. I, th- I think they've really been able to to work in the um, the probe stuff nicely because you, you, you do get the feeling that like it might become, and I think we may have said this previously, but you, you, you worry that it might become intrusive to have them sort of butting in, but so far it hasn't mm-hmm. been. So far it hasn't been. I, I think it's worked. Um, they, they've got the, the, the right balance of, you know, the, the gang sort of shows up when they need to, and then Bianco or, or you know, um, uh, they, you know, Mr. O'Brien, they, they take care of whatever they need to do. So I think, um, yeah, I think so far they've got a nice balance to it. And um, and uh, I, I was, oh, I will just say, uh, if you want an example of the split diopter, um, 34 minutes, 29 seconds into the episode, you get um, the woman who is sitting to um, uh, Cameron's right, in a close-up on the left side of the frame, and the right side of the frame is Cameron sitting surrounded by all his computers. Reminded me a little bit of the bad guy from Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. I don't know if you've ever seen that, when he's, he's, sitting, he's sitting all around his um, computers causing trouble for the Kiss gang. Um, but if you look at her, uh, you look at the woman there, and you look at her left eye, and right next to her left eye, there's kind of a ghosty haziness. 
and that is the the split in the lens. Um, sometimes there's more of it, sometimes there's less. Um, but that but that right there, that is, if you look at the whole the whole thing's in focus except for that one little strip by her eye, and that's because of the lens and the way it works. So there's just an example for you folks. But I guess um I guess uh if, if you don't have anything else, you want to wrap this one uh, up. Let's do it. Alrighty. Um, so yeah, I think I think we covered everything. It's, I think it's I think it's a fun episode. I I uh, I like the addition of the new character. Um, and um, so I guess we'll do uh, Mitchell. Where can we find you online? Um, you can find me at itsabouttv.com. Links to my uh, Facebook and Twitter feeds, as well as a ton of fun and interesting, I hope, information, and uh, <laughs> a link to where you can get uh, my book uh, the, about classic TV, which is called The Electronic, Electronic Mirror. Mirror. Yay! And uh, yeah, that's that's one of our pros missing. That is episode two. Next time we we we're going to complete the trifecta with um, the introduce uh, introduction the introduction of uh, the character <laughs> the character Grover who is um, uh, played by the great Doug McClure in the episode Short Circuit. So I am going to we're going to sign off here and um, hold on because now you're going to hear this. <laughs> Death by Design, episode 12 of Auto Man, directed by Gil Bettman, written by Sam Egan, aired April 2nd, 1984, the last day Auto Man was on the air. Uh, there are 13 episodes, so we have one more to talk about. This, this was the last one that aired on the network. Uh, I haven't looked up to see what replaced it next week. Probably another Glenn A. Larson show. When did Knight Rider premiere? 84, wasn't it? Anyway, in this episode, uh, there's a lot going on, so I'm going to try to keep it as simple as I can. It begins with Jack and another cop his age, um, and they've been cops for a while. They're on a stakeout to kind of uh, catch a hitman named LeBlanc. LeBlanc goes into a building sort of somewhere or other in the city. Uh, it doesn't look like a very nice area in the city, into like a women's fashion design offices. Uh, LeBlanc goes in there, shoots and kills a guy in there who turns out to be one of the two um, owners of this business, and then shoots and kills Jack's friend and escapes. Jack isn't very happy, so they begin to investigate, trying to investigate LeBlanc and try to find out um, uh, what was going on there. And they also begin to investigate this women's fashion place. And what they discover is that um, the, the other partner who's left alive, played by um, Anne Lockhart, uh, she she isn't too scared by what's going on. She's, it, it, it looks to be mob-related. We see a meeting between a sort of a head mob, godfathery type guy, and another guy discussing the killings there and discussing the fact that um, the mob believes they own half of this fashion place and they want to install their own guy in the place of the guy who got shot and sort of the second-in-command mob guy hired LeBlanc to go in and do this although the second-in-command guy does have his own goons but LeBlanc got a little trigger-happy and shouldn't have killed the cop and etc etc 
So they're all looking for LeBlanc, trying to put some blame on him, trying to get to the other mob guys. Um, we learn that the guy who was shot, the fashion guy who was shot, borrowed money from the mob, paid them back, and thinks it's over with the mob. That ain't the way it works with the mob. The mob now believes they own half the business, so that's why what they're, do they're doing what they're doing. So Auto Man and Wally and Jack are trying to do their thing, along with Roxanne. We'll discuss a really strange scene between Wally and Roxanne. Um, there is a reporter who's at the station a lot who doesn't seem to like cops at all and who is like keeps putting stuff in the paper that either is sort of um, anti-cop or either um, kind of ruins what the cops are trying to do. And so he's a jerk. And uh, um, Auto Man is watching a lot of... Um, I, f I forget the name of... Uh, the, the, he's watching movies that are Dirty Harry ripoffs. And he's really he really likes the Dirty Harry type character. So he's... As the episode goes along and the mob gets a little more brazen trying to take over the place and Auto Man has to get in some fights and there's some lovely ladies in bikinis. Eventually, Wally comes up with the idea to um, use the reporter who's looking at their telex or teletype or whatever it is all the time to use their reporter to print a story that will mislead people and then they are going to bring on a new undercover cop named Mad Dog which is Auto Man pretending to be this dirty hairy type character to try to get to LeBlanc the hitman I know this all sounds like a lot and it is a lot so I'll stop talking right here boom 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 little blast of music Kristen and myself are on the other side see you there <laughs> All right, Death by Design. As I said, not the last Automan, but the last Automan you would have seen back in 1984. We will be talking about one more, the 13th, the elusive Club 10. But this is Death by Design, the last one, from April of 84. Written by Sam Egan, who kind of became the uh, scribe for Automan. He wrote four, I think four of the 13 episodes, which is pretty hefty. I don't know that he had a vision for the show. I don't know that Glenn A. Larson had a vision for the show, but certainly um, Glenn and Sam would be our go-to guys. So this is Death by Design, and I'm here with the great and the awesome and the windy Kristen Hawes, a.k.a. Kiki Writes. Kristen, how are you? Oh, I'm battening down the hatches. I've lashed myself <laughs> to my chair so I won't blow away. <laughs> so hopefully I will be stationary throughout this entire chat. How are you, Dan? I'm doing okay. I am... Um... I'm I'm ready to discuss this episode. Pardon me. I, it's it's weird. The last few times I've recorded, I've suddenly become. I don't know if it's where I'm sitting. Maybe it's dusty, but I've become really congested immediately upon recording. So if you hear me sniffle, I don't know why that. Maybe I'm allergic to Auto Man. I don't know Glenny Larson product. I don't know, but um, so I am going to be a little sniffly during this. I apologize. I will try to sniff off camera as best I can. <laughs> Did you hear that? Was that too close? Mm. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so we're on Death by Design, the twelfth and final episode that would have aired on the network. Um, what did you think of this one? Overall, I liked this episode. Thing, I think I had this complaint about uh, an episode of Green Hornet as well. I wish this were two different episodes mm. because the the main theme of um, Jack's friend there getting murdered. Uh, while on duty, and then uh, Auto Man being what he was pretending to be like Nasty Eddie, which mm -hmm. is a Dirty Harry ripoff. <laughs> that all played together really well. But when you had the also you had the thing about the the reason why this guy was murdered was due to these mobsters trying to take it over a fashion yeah. business. 
And for me, that kind of detracted from that. And I would have much rather seen the the fashion crimes happen in a different episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it would have played better, especially when you had the one scene with Roxanne and, and Walter, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. It kind of played oh. off in this in it, it didn't like it wasn't very congruent. It would have just been better with fashion crimes. Plus, with a fashion crimes episode, we would have obviously gotten male model Auto Man, and yes. we were deprived of that. Mm-hmm. So, overall, I did enjoy it, but I do kind of wish it was two different episodes, so we could have it, it would have uh, gone together a little bit better. What do you think? I I I I more or less agree. I. It, it, the episode isn't a favorite of mine. The deeper you get into it, and the more Auto Man plays his dirty, hairy ripoff character, the more I like it. But there's just there's just so much going on with Jack and his, the, the that guy getting killed, and the fashion thing, and the like the reporter who keeps ruining stuff for them at the, at the police station. There's just there's just a bit too a, a, a bit too much going on, and. It's one of those tricky episodes too that that I'm I'm really starting to like think about as we get near the end of Auto Man. Maybe I should have thought about this sooner. But this sort of thing where it's like, okay, so you have Auto Man, who is basically a superhero. So what's the plot line of the story? Some mobsters want to take over a f- uh, uh, a fashion company, female w- women's fashion company, and kill one of the people in charge using a hitman. And uh, the cops get involved, and you think, do you need a superhero for that? Not really. Luckily, Auto Man is having a good time doing it. But there's just, it's 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 one of those tricky things that as as the series is going along, I start, I actually start to think, um, what what? Wait a minute, what do I start to think? WWSASD. What would Simon and Simon do? Now I've never. <laughs> I've never seen an episode of Simon and Simon, but I always think, could Simon and Simon, from my pop culture memory of what they do, could they have done this episode as well as Auto Man and the Gang? And to me, I want to say, apart from a few moments, yes. So does that? So it, it, it's it's like it. I really. I, I really wish Glenn A. Larson may have sat down a little longer and developed the show a little more because I love Auto Man in it and it's fun and he's great but there's just there, like like there's a really lengthy scene between like the head mob guy who's an actor whose name I don't know but who every time I see him in something I love him talking to sort of a secondary guy and it's a very sort of calm scene with the you know, main mob guy saying, telling this guy that, you know, you're in trouble and that kind of thing. And it's one of those scenes where it's like, I, I watch it and I like it, but I also think, where's Auto Man? When's Auto Man going to show up? And the problem is, by this point, I was really hoping that they would have kind of got a better balance on all the plotting and bring in Auto Man and having him do fun stuff. And they don't really in this episode. It isn't until the second half that Auto Man really begins to do stuff. A lot of stuff. I like the episode. As an episode of Auto Man, I like it a little less. But I think it's a good episode of television. I just wish... 
And and two, at the end of the day, there are when they everyone assembles in a living room at the end, and all the bad guys are there, and all the good guys are there. I I lit I I could have really used like a little like like a, a name suddenly appearing under people when they spoke because I got a little lost like all the white guy gangsters, uh, you know, and and so so it's not it's not a favorite episode of mine, but the Auto Man stuff in it is good. And I think it's trying really hard, which I love. But it seems to be trying almost for the wrong show. I really wish by the time we got to this point in the series, they gave Auto Man a nemesis, like that computer guy from like five or six episodes ago. I really wish they did. Because when Auto Man could step in a room and basically pick up the bad guys and throw them to the other side of the room... That's that you know at least at least with with George Reeves they had the the kryptonite that would come out when he was Superman you know here it's they don't even I don't think the power does the power stuff oh no it comes up briefly with the lady in the bikini but it's like apart from the power supply which is random um, you know Auto Man's pretty invincible and um, I just wish ah, I, I just wish it was I just wish it was a story that was tailored more to him than just a sort of generic, overly complicated cop story. I didn't dislike the episode. I just kind of wished it was better. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I do want to say that um, as a ki- as someone who watched Simon and Simon a lot as a kid, oh. um, I lived what was Simon and Simon do. I mean, I asked myself oh. that daily. So, <laughs> you know, I can relate. <laughs> I don't I don't know why I chose Simon and Simon. I was trying to think of a a show from around this time period that I've never seen where I could put like Wally and Auto Man into what I think of those characters doing. I was going to say Riptide, but I know there's that nerdy guy in Riptide, so he kind of throws a wrench into it. So I was just always thinking like what if this was Simon and Simon and so, so this may be. I, I, I'm not. I'm not getting down on the episode because we've had a few Auto Man episodes that I think are kind of clinkers. This was isn't, isn't a clinker because everyone's trying really hard. I just, um, I just wish there was more. It was more Auto Man attuned, I guess. So, uh, what what else do you have on this one? You know, I think it's interesting that you point out that you that Auto Man's kind of the superhero and. He doesn't have really superhero things to do. And I was thinking about that when I was re-watching the episodes before our chat. And I was thinking it kind of falls into two categories, really, when it comes to Auto Man. Is that, yes, he can do superhero stuff, like when we saw him stepping in and battling the computer in that one episode. Mm-hmm. But then it's also the other episodes are focused more on Auto Man learning how to people. Yes. And I think this kind of falls into the latter category of he's Mm -hmm. imitating nasty Eddie (laughs) and learning how to people as a vigilante cop, Mm -hmm. which is really kind of um, uh, disconcerting to see in a little, in a way, because we know Otto and he's very, very nice and he's very, you know, programmed to be, you know, a hero and to Mm -hmm. see him, pretending to be this vigilante or playing this vigilante role, it's really kind of weird. That, like, it's menacing, but it's also, like, 
it's kind of unnerving too. Yeah, and it's not it's, Auto Man. It's not the Auto Man we know and love. Yes, and the thing with the thing I love about Auto Man is Auto Man is always just um, almost camp, which is part of the fun thing about him. He almost you almost think he's going to like break out into like a little song or something on occasion. What he said, well, Walter, let me tell you what's going on. I have become a man who's shooting other men, or you know something like that. You know, you think he's going to break into a um, a tune, and the the scene where he shoots the guy at the newsstand is very is very like what the hell? Now it's kind of explained a moment later, but um, it it is kind of no, I I I I I think the thing that made me not. In my mind, until you said it, put it, put it in the this in the category of um, uh, uh, Auto Man learning about humans. Is that in the previous episode, it was very much like Walter saying, "Okay, Auto, here's something," and Auto said, "Okay, let me look into this." Whereas this one is very much Auto like doing it on his own. And Wally is more interested in like macking on Ro- Roxanne in the living room. And so, so there's more of a, um, I guess, is it a feeling maybe Auto Man has grown up a bit or something? Like he's beginning to um, go off on his own, or I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, I, it's, I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is fun, and like you said, it is kind of disconcerting seeing him being such a tough guy because you know. I mean, this yeah, this was the year after Sudden Impact with Go Ahead Make My Day. And, um, and, uh, you know, a Dirty Harry being, you know, this rough, unpleasant character and, and watching, um, Auto Man, um, uh, 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 mimic him is, is interesting to watch. And also, like you said, disconcerting and, and slightly strange because Dirty Harry ain't a nice guy, but Auto Man is, as it were. And so it's, um. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just maybe the episode doesn't hit something right for me. I don't quite know what it is. Like I watched it twice, and I I like it quite a bit. Um, but there are problems I have with it. But again, again, that could be me overthinking it and wanting to make Auto Man into um, it, what it never quite became. Um, can we talk real quick about the car chase? Oh yes, let's. Talk what, about the car chase. Would you like to say what your favorite part of the car chase is? Because your favorite part might be my favorite part. No, you go first. Okay. You, you tell me what your favorite okay. part is. Um, <laughs> it's uh, um, so they're they're um, and I, I'm I'm actually I've got it playing right here. I actually can tell you what is the um, there's a there's a crash at the end of the car chase. Um, and the vehicle that, uh, LeBlanc, I think is the, the killer's name or the the hitman's name is driving. He crashes into an charters, tours and cruises air sea around the world agent travel agency earlier in the show, that same travel agency was, was actually missed once by someone and, but then hit another time. And I, is it the pilot where they they crash into it? I think is the pilot. It is, but yes, okay. So um, it's it's funny because there's there's a scene where um, this this big sort of car pulls up 
and an old lady is about to get into it, and LeBlanc is standing near it. And when Wally yells out, Police! Don't move! And LeBlanc kind of leaps in his big black car and takes off. And I thought, what was that about? Is he her chauffeur? What was going on right there? But then, <laughs> then you realize that they're putting him in the exact same car that crashed into the the uh, the travel agency in the first episode. And we, we've also had, was it two or three episodes ago, I, th- I think it was during that great scene um, where Auto Man like, corrals the bad guys into the police station. I think. Does that sound right? Like two episodes ago or so? It was a long time ago. Yeah. And right. th- that that one has the exact same moment where they shoot towards that T intersection. But this time no one hits anything. And I just imagine like the guy who owns the travel agency is like upstairs, like looking down and going, not again. Oh, you. But then like two weeks later, not again. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, it's those two again. Oh, no. But what did you think of that when you saw that? Did you go, yeah? All I could think was when I saw it, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they've destroyed this like three times. I'm like, this is like Auto Man's version of the fruit cart that's always in car chases in movies, and they always end up running over the fruit cart. This is Auto Man's fruit cart. Is this traveling just to see store window? Yes. It's like, we're going to do another crash. Okay, let's rent that black car again. Here we go. Let's do it. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of fun because um, uh, I don't want to say it's closure, but, you know, if this was the last episode you saw on the network, it might have been quite wonderful to see that and think, Oh, Auto Man, you're leaving my life, but at least you crashed into that travel agency again. Yes, we've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I wonder how that, you know, like, j- just the thought that, like, the, the, they, they obviously wouldn't have, they, they didn't smash into it again, but you kind of see LeBlanc kind of get out of the car around rubble and stuff. So it, I, I'm wondering if maybe they just left it smashed up and they were just like hey you know what no one fixed that storefront put the car there do it come on get there let's do it tonight cover it with rubble Uh, this is easy perfect this this rice itself this itself (laughs) runs into travel agency i would have loved if if um Maybe that was like if the show had gone on, that would have been some kind of running gag, you know, where you just saw like you, it. It would be the fruit cart, Automatic fruit cart. The super... <laughs> just uh, you would be watching episodes, just waiting for that moment. Oh my gosh! Oh, man. we didn't have it this this episode. But, the... Oh, we got it this episode. You know, yeah, people would be excited about that. And they'd be like, oh, my God. And, and around the water cooler the next day, it would be fruit cart type chat. Oh, did you see? Oh, my gosh. They crashed into it. I thought they were going to hit it, but they didn't this week. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and and maybe there'd be an episode where, like, um, I don't know, where maybe uh, somehow the auto car drove through it and came out the other side. And suddenly there was, like, an old guy in the back seat. And he was like, who are you? Oh, I'm Mr. Air Supply, or whatever the heck the name of the place was. I run the travel agency. Every time I see you guys come and you destroy my building. And he's like, well, come with us. This will be fun. Hold on, please. (laughs) Oh, what could have been? What could have been? If only the show had continued. So what else do you have on this one? I'm going to to scan my notes. 
Well, um, like I said, it, it kind of felt like two different episodes mashed together because yes. of the fashion thing. And then we have this bizarre. So we already see Jack's friend get murdered because that happens in the opener. And it's that's bizarre anyway, because Jack's like, yeah, sure. Go into that building and follow yeah. this killer alone. I'll stay here and call for backup. <laughs> yes. Like nothing bad would happen. Yeah. But so we have this and we know the investigation's already started and Jack's very upset. And then we have this date scene between Walter yes. and Roxanne because uh, Automan is watching Nasty Eddie in another room and they're <laughs> having the date on the couch and Roxanne is like, you know, I kind of dig you and they start making out and yeah. <laughs> of course Automan breaks it up and that's actually quite hilarious. Mm-hmm. But it feels so wrong in the context of the rest of the episode. Like yeah. the placement's bad. Mm-hmm. The the tone is just off. It's like, yeah. But, and it also begs the question of, you know, how did this happen that all of a sudden Roxanne is all over Walter when, yeah, you know, she's been... barely gave him the time of day up until this point? Is she really yes. that, like, hard up? <laughs> Maybe she realized who it was. What's this out as a junior? What? Come on. Maybe I can get on Life with Lucy. <laughs> that you know Walter's not a, a good looking guy of course he is but it's just you know she, it's obvious that she's been very much you know he's a friend no more mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden she's ready to climb him like a tree so it was just curious <laughs> it's I mean I think that's one of the, the tricky thing with the episodes is that at, the episode is that as I watched that scene I thought all right this is going to go somewhere and then I thought it's it's the penultimate episode. It's going to go nowhere. Um, but then in between that, it cuts to um, sort of Auto Man doing his this. It's it's weird because when you watch him watching the the Dirty Harry ripoff stuff, it's completely appropriate for what he's about to do in the episode. But it also feels a little like he anticipated that the episode was going to be like this and started watching the movies. Uh, that's what it felt like a bit to me, and and so it's like it felt a bit weird, and that scene feels a bit weird. And the fact that they don't again, you think they would? You think there'd be because when that scene ends, there's kind of a big like <laughs> moment that feels like it's the end of the episode, but it's actually the middle of the episode. And um, and Roxanne has a great moment there where she her. Um, her uh, line about the, uh, you know, you can calculate thousands and thousands of things per second. But what, what is it she says? You can't... Um, but you can't take a hint? You can't take a hint, which is great. Which is great, because, like, uh, Auto Man's face is like, hmm, yes, okay. But, uh, yeah, it's... um, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was... It's an interesting scene, because when yeah. I saw it, well, I thought... It, it oh, was... I'm sorry. I was just going to say it was kind of funny the way the scene started when Automan broke up the date and he's like, he's going on about how great Nasty Eddie is. And he's like, do you have any idea what you just missed out on? And Roxanne's like, you have no idea. <laughs> or Walter said, you have no idea. One of them did. And I'm just like, ooh, yes. Ouch. Yeah. Ooh, nice. That's the good stuff. That's the good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Auto Automan goes, late night. Yeah. <laughs> Automan after dark. <laughs> So um uh I want to I do want to talk about um uh this episode has uh, Anne Lockhart in it 
who I'm a Yay. big fan of. Yay! And I, 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 I met her briefly at the last uh, Gallifrey Doctor Who convention um, in uh, February, a year ago, February 2020. Um, obviously, this year they're not having a convention, but she usually has a table there, and she has a bunch of... Um, uh, her, her photos out from like Battlestar Galactica and things like that. And I, I just, I was just passing by and I just happened to, like people were in my way and I, um, I just, uh, and I was trying to get around them when I turned to my left and there was Ann Lockhart there. And at the moment there was no one at her table and she looked up at me and I said, Oh, hello. Thank you for coming. I'm a big fan of yours. And she said, thank you. And I, I had actually had to be somewhere, so I was like, I, I and I went around it. But I was going to say that, like, um, I was going to say my favorite character of yours is Pogo Lil from BJ and the Bear. But she didn't have any, she didn't have any photos for Pogo Lil there, um, and she didn't have any photos from this episode. Where I'll be frank, I don't like her hair. What do you think of her hair? I actually do like her hair. Oh, let's talk about that. Let's talk about her hair. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Okay. First of all, let's just make it very clear that the 80s did every woman dirty when it came to their hair. No one, no woman had good hair in the 80s. None. But I feel like that uh, as far as 80s hair goes, Anne Lockhart's hair in this episode actually was rather flattering and and wasn't over the top and wasn't too big. It, it, I, I thought it suited her, especially for the role that she was she was playing. True. Why didn't yeah. she like it, man? I just, I, I think I'm, I'm used to her having longer hair, and I just, I just couldn't get over her having the short hair. I, I couldn't. I, I don't know why it was. You know, I'm just think, sitting there thinking, and what would your mom say? You cut your hair like that. You should, you should let your hair grow out. I, I, th I think I just, um, I'm so used to her with longer hair and in, in, in all the other things. I mean, because she always like. Pretty much like every Glenn A. Larson show, she pops up at some point or another. I'm pretty sure she's in a Buck Rogers. Like I said, she's in at least two um, BJ and the Bears. You know, she, she always pops up in there, and I, I think it's just I want to see her with longer hair. The short hair, I just, I, I didn't get used to it, I guess is what it was. So when the episode ended, I was still not used to it. Maybe if I watch it a few more times, I will, but... Um, I'm just, it's not my favorite haircut on her, but, but I will say that compared to the swimsuit models and such, her hair is a restraint, modicum of restraint. One of the goons in that scene, the one who shoots Auto Man, I don't know the actor's name, but he is best known for being one of the um, regular cast in season three of BJ and the Bear. The first two seasons of BJ and the Bear didn't have a regular cast, but the third one did. And the the bad cop that BJ goes up against, I forget his name is like Abraham something or other. I was going to say Abraham Wright, but I think that's Stacy Keach's character in Brewster McCloud. Um, uh, he's he, this bad cop, and the second uh, the second in command cop is that guy. The kind of balding guy with a mustache. And when he rushed in, I was like, oh, it's that guy! Oh my gosh! And then he gets thrown around, and it's fun to watch. But so I'm going to leave this scene behind because I think I've I've disgraced myself. What um what else do you have on this one? 
you mentioned earlier about how there's the the this new reporter that's hanging around yes, that's yes, on the yes. crime beat that's kind of causing trouble and everything. And he had a great scene with Roxanne at the beginning because uh, the chief, the captain there, warns Jack about this guy to walk, you know, tread softly with this dude. Yes. And then she, he meets up with Roxanne, and he gets a cup of coffee, and he goes, oh, it's a little bitter. And she's like, aren't we all? And I'm like, damn, she's got the claws out today. I like her. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> this is probably the best Roxanne I've seen for a while. But I, um, I, I thought, because it's really interesting that, that, you know, he obviously is a jackass. Mm-hmm. But they end up using him later by yes. planning false information that there is this vigilante cop and that's how they get LeBlanc and um, whoever Lance Legault played uh, <laughs> the one guy yes. uh, the one crime guy <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but they end up using him mm-hmm. and he at the end of the episode he points out Ottoman he says you know that he's very this guy's very interesting he's like you're very interesting or something like that I kind of would have liked it if this series had continued to have this guy pop up on occasion yes. to try to make trouble and they always like use him, you know, use him mm-hmm. against himself and use him for their own, you know, help to get the crimes. Yes. Like, yeah. um, oh, he would have been like Jack Colvin in Incredible Hulk. That's what you know, I was going to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. To have him come in and, and be that, you know, pestering character, mm-hmm. I think that would have been a lot of fun. And I thought it felt fit really well with this episode because they used him for the whole vigilante angle. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I really liked him as yeah, being a pestering little jerk. <laughs> yeah, I I will say that the thing I like about him is first off, I think do they actually have people like this in police stations who like stand around and are able to put in major stories in newspapers like ruining things. That I guess that's something. I don't know. That just seems a little weird to me that you would do that. Um, but maybe it's it's something you do. But I like the concept. I like that concept of like as the show goes along, he would show up, and every time he show up, he he would be absolutely like large and in charge, and then they'd use him in some way, and then at the end, he wouldn't really know he'd been used, and he'd go out of there going, <laughs> "Okay, you guys." I know what's going on with you. And then he'd leave and they'd all do that thing where they laugh and it freeze frames and the episode ends. And so, yeah, he was, he was a fun episode. I, he was a fun episode. He was a, fun, he, was a <laughs> he was a fun guy. And I'll, I'll, um, I will say when, when I saw him, I thought of, um, have you ever seen a sledgehammer? I watched it when I was young. I don't mm. re- I haven't seen it since, but I vaguely, remember it yeah there's a the, like the second episode of the show has a character like this in it a guy who like uh wants to investigate the cops and who rides along with you know hammer and doro and things don't go well so that's kind of what i thought of when i saw him but he he was an interesting character to have because i could like like you said i could see him coming back um what else do you have on this one i think i might be oh oh uh, i will say um ann lockhart's character is named tracy morgan Shout out to Thirty Rock. It's a great show. And um, and what what else did you have? Anything else on this one? Um, oh, one more thing about the the reporter when he goes and he's pestering the captain 
about information about the vigilante and stuff like that. Cause, and of course the captain went along with Walter's plan. He knows all that mm. information is planted, but he's like, do you have any, any comments on it? And the captain's like, yeah, this time make sure you use my middle initial. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, wow, everybody has the sass today. Yeah, it's, it's a good sass. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd love it if, if that was maybe Sam Egan's thing. If he had, he became like the main writer, head writer on the show. And it was like, he would, you know, sort of each each Egan would redefine the show. You know, sort of like Darren Morgan writing for the X-Files or something like that. You know, every time one of his scripts would show up, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it's an Egan. Everyone sit back. I do want to say, because um, the one, he has a name. What is his name? <laughs> oh, Simon Rafferty is yes. their bad guy, played by Lance Legault. And um, I love Lance Legault because he's always, I'm used to seeing him as the good guy asshole. Yes. Actually, in my notes, it says career asshole, but he's he's, <laughs> the, he's usually plays a good guy because he was Buck Green on Magnum P.I. He was Colonel Decker on the A-Team. So he's usually like a, what should be a good guy, but he's always the antagonist of the, the you know, protagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to see him being like straight up bad guy was interesting mm-hmm. because I'm used to him being like kind of the good guy, but also a bad guy. So he was straight up bad guy, and at one point he did a scene where he was in a robe, and the, yes. I think that's when Simon LeBlanc comes in to get paid or something like that, and he's in a in a robe, and I'm like, I'm decidedly uncomfortable with seeing him in a robe. <laughs> I think it's just a me thing, <laughs> but I'm still a little <laughs> a little uncomfortable with this. Yes, yeah, no, I I I think I understand. <laughs> I understand. There's, uh, yeah, <laughs> no, that I I know the scene you're talking about, and I think I think I agree with you there. Yeah, I I think like I said, I kind of got lost in all the um, divisions of labor throughout the bad guys in this episode, and I really needed a little scorecard or something when I got to the end of it. Yeah. But I will will say, folks, not to not to ruin it, but good wins in the end. <laughs> Hooray! Um, so I, uh, I'm just gonna scan my notes one more time. It's I do I do like the 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 um, the uh, the the ending with the helicopter, the Automan helicopter shooting those laser bolts at the car. That's fun. Although when the car smashes into the tree, I was worried for Ann Lockhart's character, Tracy Morgan. And, I uh, was too. That was yeah. a little cavalier, don't you think? That he, I mean, there's obviously an innocent victim in the car, and they're just shooting lasers shooting. to try to get it to crash. Yes. And it's like this is the '80s. No one wears seatbelts. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's just it wasn't. I I don't. It was like '86 or '87 when I remember my parents telling me you have to wear a seatbelt. But yeah, in 83, 84, we didn't wear seatbelts. We sat on top of the car if we wanted to. No it's one true. cared. No, no. Like, car seats? Yeah, that was like for babies. And then after that, you were free range in the back seat. Just whatever. Exactly. exactly. You were jumping around. That's why you, you get all those sitcoms like, will you kids shut up and sit down back there kind of thing? It's because there weren't, once seat belts hit, you didn't yell at them in the same way. You know? And, um,. I, I think um, I, I've just got one more thing, and that that is actually with the laser firing. At one point, he doesn't say this, but I thought that 
Automan was firing the lasers because he thought the guy would stop rather than keep on driving. I felt like there was a moment where you saw like Automan and Wally's face and they were like, why doesn't this guy just stop? We're shooting lasers at him. And so when he hit the tree, it was almost like a, oh crap, okay, that wasn't supposed to happen kind of thing. But that could be me just making that up. But that's kind of what I felt like when I was watching it a couple hours ago. Like they, they had a, they had a plan, but this guy was just too stubborn. Well, I could be wrong. I don't know. I kind of thought they were trying to pull like a pit maneuver, like, but with lasers. Yes. And the problem was, is that it, that, pit maneuvered them into a tree exactly exactly sort of the way they 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 drive the those guys in a couple episodes to go to the police station they were trying to do the same thing with lasers unfortunately the tree got in the way and if and i vaguely recognize the area they were chasing them through i think i've probably been an extra on something there and there are trees there but there are a lot of spaces where there are not trees there (laughs) so eh, you know that's gonna happen so um, so, if, if do you have anything else in Death by Design? I I I am, I'm all out. I have. I just have one more thing. One more thing yes. about uh, a funny line because this was this was full of good lines. And then yeah, I have right. one little piece of trivia that you will enjoy. So, the when they're when they travel plays. Oh no, this is no. It's when they get the. Um, I'm sorry. It's when they get Woody. Oster, the guy who's supposed to be taking over the fashion. You're right. We need like a program for this. <laughs> yes, yes. When they get him after they shoot the bookie at the place, he's driving, and he they want him to to take him to Simon Rafferty, and they want him to stop and call LeBlanc and have him meet him there. And he questions why he's doing all this. And Auto Man as Nasty Eddie is basically like, the only reason you're alive right now is because my friend and I don't feel like driving. And I just laughed so hard (laughs) at that line. Yeah, that's a good good line. (laughs) It was absolutely magnificent. I think think the joy of the line to me is that it's like, it's, it's Auto Man being creative on his own sort of with dirty harry like dirty harry if he doesn't want to drive he makes the criminal drive for him and i, I kind of like that it's like him the kind of riffing on it which i liked so that is death by design episode 12 the, the final episode to air on the network and chris and i will just ask you where can we find you online you can find me at my blog, kikiwritesabout.com. It is the home of my podcast, Bookum Dano, an old Hawaii Five-O yes, podcast. Yes. And if you want my thoughts on 80s hair and 80s fashion in real time, <laughs> you can get that by following me on Twitter at kikiwrites. Excellent. Thank you so much. And now we are going to hop from this to the actual proper last episode of something We're going on the air one more time. On the air, episode seven, the final 
episode aired not really on any specific date aired aired in my living room a half an hour ago this is written by robert engels and david lynch if you're a twin peaks firewalk with me fan hey those are the guys who wrote twin peaks firewalk with me so let's see where this goes and it's directed by jack fisk who directed the the quiz show episode of this and is also i looked him up i i thought i knew the name jack fisk he's a production designer he's an art director on um uh, some David Lynch films, some Brian De Palma films. Uh, he was is an artist, director, production designer on every Terrence Malick film, which is pretty... I mean, going back to Badlands, like, that's pretty astounding. And he has been married since, like, 1974 to Sissy Spacek. I mean, they're still married, as far as I know. That's pretty astounding. And he, he occasionally directs, too, and, and obviously he directed two episodes of this. He, he directed Daddy's Dying, Who's Got the Will. Um, but he's... Uh, yeah, he's very much sort of in that space with that game. Apparently, I guess he grew up with David Lynch, which has got to be pretty interesting, I would think. Hey, I think growing up with me would have been interesting, but then I'm a jerk. So what happens in this final episode of On the Air? It is their summer tribute, summer bash episode of, of, of Lester Guy. And uh, Lester wants a, um, a beatnik, uh, part of a group called The Voids, uh, the, she's she's the woman with no name to be on the show. She's dressed all in black, and she's very beatnicky. And when you know she talks and stuff, you hear like bongos constantly playing in the background. And near the end, when she's dancing, there's a a guy doing sort of Albert Ayler licks on the sax, but without the melody that Albert um, um, would bring to those licks. Um, and you know, bongos playing and stuff like that. Uh, we'll talk more about her in a moment. There, this this one has, has like three or four different things going through it. The main the main thing Lester wants for the show, which he still wants, to, he he still is still the Lester guy show, but he's still a secondary character to Betty, and he wants his beaten a character to appear because she's hip. It's avant garde, and Buddy of Bud Waller, of course, is like, oh god, but uh, you know what? What are you gonna do? Um, it's funny that it's the last episode of the season. I'm still sort of struggling on the names here, but 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 but. I have the names here. Yeah, and um, pardon me. Yeah, Nicole um, is trying to push the the beatnik uh, woman on the show too. Uh, meanwhile, um, uh, there there's an interesting scene. I'm I'm going to play it for you now, uh, where um, uh, Blinky and uh, Mickey are at the the console, and Mickey hands uh, Blinky a cup of coffee, and that's intercut with um, Betty. Having a bit of a problem. Now hurry up, twins. Like hurry up. Like hurry up. Like hurry up. Good morning, Blinky. How are you today, my good friend? Fine, Mickey. And how are you today, my good friend? Fine, Blinky. I bought your coffee. Thank you, Mickey. It's very fresh. Yes, it is. What's the matter, Betty? I can't remember my mother's first name. I know it isn't Mom. <laughs> I'm sure you'll remember it soon. Oh, that's not 
Noel Hudson, no, I'm sorry. I must have the wrong number. I'm sure it's the right number. I just pretended it was the wrong number. Your mother gave me the name Mrs. Noel Hudson. Could it be that my mother and my father have the same first name? I don't think so, Getty. Well, I could call her back and find out what her maiden name is. We don't have a maid. And even if we we did, would it be possible for her and my mother and my father to all three have the same first name? I had a friend with it, too. A guy named Gil. <gasps> I'll call my sister. She has the same name as my aunt. Uh, Sylvia? Yes. Only someone of the same name as my mother. Yes. Who could it be? So Betty spends the episode, uh, she, she does the episode, and what she does in the episode, she does, well, I mean the actual Lester Guy show episode, she does quite well. She's trying to remember her mom's um, name throughout. And of course Ruth is, is trying to help her. Uh, as this is going on, there is there there are at least two other plot lines happening. One of them involves involves a voice disintegrator, and the other involves what beatnik, or it sounds like kind of sometimes beatniker, uh, means in um, whatever the heck Mr. Gotchik's and Mr. Zablotnik's language is. Um, beatnik more or less means bootmaker, and. Um, well, let me play this little clip. So when Mr. Uh, Gotchik, uh, David Lander, hears that um, there's a beatnik on there, show, he thinks it's a bootmaker, so he goes to talk to her about boots. And I'm going to play you this clip. This is him talking to the woman with no name. Your muscle You hold a great interest in wool mud baths and duck necks to mock them in this country. Okay? What tell you? You're a beatnik, are you not? I'm talking if you're bites. You're bites. The bites. Bites! Oh! No! Oh! 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 the episode does have subtitles on it but it's fun to hear what, what did you catch from what Mr. Gotchik said there 
don't know, it's kind of a fun, nutty scene. He he and his brother, or his uncle, I'm sorry, really love Beenix, and his uncle, Mr. Zablotnik, shows up later, and they're just, their scenes together are very goofy. And the, the, the fourth uh, plot line is, um, involves the voice disintegrator, where um, uh, Lester brings in a guy to who has some sort of device where he can basically disintegrate someone's voice. You heard it at the beginning. The beginning of this episode when you hear Lester sing and all of a sudden his voice goes crazy. The the, the voice disintegrator does that. Not, not obviously what happens in the episode is they try to get Betty hit with the voice disintegrator and Lester gets ends up getting hit with it and it becomes very odd. But I'm gonna play you this 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 one clip here. They they want Betty to pre-record a song for the show. Well, Lester and Nicole do because they need to get her voice on record, and then the the guy who has the voice disintegrated can diddle around with it. So, so here is uh, everyone trying to explain to Betty how pre-recording works. <laughs> Betty, what Mr. Gottstick is speaking about is a simple technique to ensure that nothing goes wrong when you sing on the show. And when you see how the technique works, you will understand it perfectly and appreciate it fully. Why is this so difficult? To sing while that breath rapid. All we need is a four-foot cord. The song will be pre-recorded. It will? You have seen the song before. I don't remember singing it before. Good Lord, I can't believe I'm hearing this. No, 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 Betty, not before now. Before the show. In the future from now, but before the show. You will go somewhere else and sing the song without an audience. But no one will hear me. Why would we get to sing? We will record the song. What will I do on the show? Are you worried you'll have to sing and walk at the same time? Betty, you will move your lips silently and pretend to sing. But no one will hear me. They will hear the pre-recorded song. The one I sing before the show in the future from now? Yes! I'll be in two places at once. So yeah, as always, things uh, don't go off without a hitch. When the episode goes live, the voice disintegrator causes trouble for Lester. I will play you a clip at the end of this episode where Betty does remember her mom's name. It's a fun little clip. But the whole thing ends with a really weird dance with the uh, the woman with no name, and everyone's got their shoes off. They've got their shoes on their hands, and they're dancing. And and um, I don't know why, but Betty. The I think the last time we see Betty is when she's looking into the camera. When you you see her from the camera, you know you don't you don't actually. Well, obviously you see her through the ca- camera the whole time. But you know what I mean. You we're seeing her through the camera of on the air through the camera of Lester Guy. I think that's the last time I see her. I almost feel like she got like some sort of eraser head kind of instead of going to the radiator she went to the camera or something like that. I don't know because I don't see her when they're doing this final dance and the show ends. Anyway, uh that yeah, that that's the basic plot line of episode 7. It's a very um it's a very busy episode. It's a very quick episode. The thing with the voice disintegrator kind of happened so quickly, it takes two, um, took me two viewings to figure out what was going on because the, the way it's introduced is a little too like, huh, what? And then when he introduces the secondary machine, the one that zaps Lester, that's even a bit more slightly confusing. Something feels like, it feels like there's a scene missing in the voice disintegrator stuff. It's fun, um, but it feels like there's there is something missing, and there is something too about like like in a show like this, usually, like um, 
you know, a, a person will get sort of one plot line, but in this one, it's like Lester's pushing the beatnik, and then he's doing the voice disintegrator. It's funny because he pushes the beatnik, and so does Nicole. And they mentioned going downtown. I've been downtown with Lester, which is probably not meant to be as dirty as it sounds, or maybe it's exactly meant to be as dirty as it sounds. I would bet you the latter is true now that I have said that out loud. Um, but, but he kind of pushes the beatnik on them in a summer episode where it doesn't make any point and then kind of goes away and does the voice disintegrate thing, kind of forgetting that he brought the beatnik there, and uh, which, 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 uh, which it feels a little weird that they, they did that. I almost... Um, I almost, uh, I almost wish they they had done it where someone else had brought in the beatnik, because then what what happens is when you get that scene with Mister Angachik there, um, that scene doesn't have any sort of context in the episode until until you get to the end, and then it makes sense unless you listen very carefully to the way he's speaking, because it's you you go from that scene um, with uh, the story being told about the fish and Betty wondering about her mom's name immediately to Mr. Gotchik talking to the woman with no name about the boots. And when you listen to the audio, as you heard, every time he says bootmaker, he says beatnik. It's, it's, a, it's a beatnik, and then, and then uh, after that. And, um, but it's more or less beatnik is bootmaker, and which, which you know, um, is said loudly uh, by Ruth in the end. Um, but you, you watch that scene, it's like, why is this happening? What's going on? Why is he calling her a great bootmaker? That doesn't have anything to do with being a beatnik. But if you hear the if you hear the way he pronounces bootmaker, you go, oh, okay, I get it. I'll be honest. The first time I watched this, I did not know what the hell was going on. And when I got to the end, I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. And then when I watched it the second time, I figured out what was you know. I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. But it's it's a little bit. I could I guess you could say it's very David Lynchian. It, it, Except for the fact that this isn't really, really weird Eraserhead style things. This is like a beatnik meaning something in a different language. Beatnik meaning something in a different language and someone misunderstanding what they are. This is the weird voice disintegrator, um, which isn't, you know, which is a mix of sort of a David Lynchian style thing and also something I think, you know, Catwoman did a variation of that with Chad and Jeremy on Batman, circa 1967. You know, so that that was a voice um, remover or something like that. But, yeah. So it's an interesting episode that, like the others, requires... This one, I think, the the since the... This one is the first one since the first episode, I think, that requires that much attention. The, the thing is, somewhere in there, the... Um, the episodes like um, they're they're still very complicated. I mean, and e- even the way even the way stuff is shot, like when Lester is telling Bud Waller that he wants the Beatnik woman in there. There's like a constant like things are constantly people are constantly going by them, running into things. People are handing stuff like there, there's a scene where there's just a three shot like or is it? Oh, how many people are in the shot? I forget. But like they're all standing there talking to one another, and then you like a guy like leans into frame in front of them with like a megaphone, and someone else leans in and takes the megaphone and moves out, almost like um, almost like they're they're when those those people are talking, you you can't pass them by. You have to kind of pass things in front of them or around them. Or I, I don't quite know what's going on, but it's it's interesting to watch, and it probably means something that I don't understand. Um, so it's. Again, you need to watch it more than once, I think, to get fully what's happening. And I will say, the second time I watched it, when I knew what was happening, I had a, I had a real fun time watching it. Um, again, when you get to the end of the seven episodes, the first one is still probably the best. 
I should probably sit down now and rewatch all seven of them now that I'm familiar. It seems like those opening episodes were so long ago. Like when I mentioned the quiz show episode, that seems like, well, it was months ago, but it seems like a very long time ago. I will be honest with you. Well, two things. One, I've got the microphone in a different position this time around. I'm sitting very comfortably as opposed to the chair I normally sit on just because it's been a long week and I felt like sitting comfortably. So if the if the sound is a little different, it's because I'm not always facing the microphone. Sometimes I'm looking to the left a little bit, but it's okay. It's a, it's a, it's a Lynchian effect. Ha-ha. Helen Lynch, my, my um, aunt, Helen. Uh, in church, she's from Churchville. You know her. She lives there now. She's a very nice lady. My mom's twin. What was I saying? Uh, so I, th- I th- shot myself in the foot a little bit here in that uh, when I do the shows with guests, we normally do several episodes at a time. And so when you heard Search 2 with Mitchell and myself, we recorded that, uh, I want to say mid-December, and we talked Search 2, 3, and 4 all together. And then when you heard... Um, Kristen and myself talking Auto Man 12 we recorded that uh, less than a week before I posted this episode and our previous chat was about two months before that like every two months or so we get together and chat so there's a bit of continuity there and it's more than one episode the thing with On the Air is the standalone shows I usually watch and record the weekend before the episodes get out, go up so that means the first six episodes of On the Air every other week I watched one, took notes on it, looked into it, recorded it. I haven't watched it on the air. This this is being recorded on uh, February 6, 2021. I haven't watched it on the air since probably December 14th. And I sort of lost... I didn't lose a thread on anything. But I sort of... Um, the verve and where's this going to go next I had when I was watching the first six. When I put this one on yesterday and watched for the first time, I'll be honest, I fell asleep before the end of it there was just so much going on you know it's it's a difference between like um you know in Tony Malinowski's Night of Horror nothing goes on and so you fall asleep but sometimes too much can go on and your brain kind of turns off and you fall asleep and that's kind of what I did yesterday now today just before this I stayed awake and I enjoyed the whole thing and like I said I actually wouldn't mind this afternoon if if each episode's about 23 minutes let's see here I got my calculator each episode, so about 23 minutes, so we're talking about 161, um, 161 uh, um, uh, uh, minutes. So that's not bad. It's 161, two uh, under three hours. I can watch the whole thing in about watch the whole thing in about two hours and 45 minutes, or I can rewatch the theatrical version of Ingmar Bergman's Scenes from a Marriage. You tell me. Which I'm going to watch. Actually, I just rewatched that recently. I got the Bergman Criterion set finally. Actually, I got it a while ago, but I finally got it. Oh, what am I talking about? So, Bergman, Lynch, great directors. Um, and, and Bergman could get as freaking weird as, as Lynch could. Uh, anyway, uh, so is this a good episode? Yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a good ending episode. It has a lot of weirdness to it. Because it has David Lynch's name in, the, in as a co-writer, and it's, it's co-written by the guys who wrote Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, when I watch it, I keep thinking things like like the the story about the fish and it cost me a fin and and the the voice disintegrator and and the 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 beat I I, I keep the like the bootmaker chat you know it's all I keep thinking it's all more sinister and weird than it possibly is I mean there's still moments in it like if someone drops something there'll be a big bonk kind of Hanna Barbera sound effect on the thing so I I don't I don't fully I feel like I've 100% gauged exactly what this 
show is but um i did enjoy it and maybe a second second view maybe i'll do a maybe i'll do a follow-up in a few months and just just kind of kind of maybe whiz through them all or, or something i don't know but i did enjoy the show and um let, let me let me just let me just say i'm gonna just i don't i don't want to short shrift that this episode's running a bit long and uh, i tend to short uh shorten the uh if i do a solo i tend to short it i don't want to shorten this just because this is this is the last episode but i mean overall the show is a is a weird enigma i think it's it's fun and it's goofy um, but because it's 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 weird. Like if it had been made, if if David Lynch's name wasn't on it, if Mark Frost's name wasn't on it, and it was just like like a random TV writer that you'd never heard of, you'd kind of watch this and go, "Huh, that's interesting." Well, hmm, all right. But because David Lynch's name is on it, because Mark Frost's name is on it, it's right of the Twin Peaks. You watch it with a bit more of a, "Hmm, what's going on there?" And I don't really know that there's much going on there i mean maybe betty does vanish into the camera in the end maybe the woman with no name is more sort of mystical and so she looks just like a wacky beatnik to me and if you've ever read any of my thoughts on beatniks in the past you know i'm not a fan and there's there's a guy like with a saxophone who has a conversation with um with betty and which is pretty uh, amusing conversation which is i mean the funny thing the conversation that the beatnik has with betty is one where you know he speaks in beatnik speak but not always sometimes he's just speaking kind of like regular but betty misunderstands everything it reminded me a lot of like when the clampets met beatniks back in the hillbillies you know and uh i want to say there was a beatnik who stayed with them for a while. oh yeah i remember the beatnik is driving by the mansion sees ellie may like in short shorts doing something or and he crashes his car so they bring him in and then later in that season i think they called jed big daddy later in that season they open their own like beatnik club and um and there's it's a several story plot line and the whole thing ends with mr drysdale proving that these kids um, oh, Betty Co Junction does this too with the Dennis the Dennis Hopper episode, Betty Joe and the Beatnik, and he proves in the end that the um, uh, these kids is just a fad, and you you give them enough money or you offer them a good job or something like that, they'll give up the Beatnik thing immediately. Oh, that's in fact what they do. It's much more amusing when they do it in Beverly Hillbillies, uh, and when they do it in Petticoat Junction, it's kind of a little gross. But anyway, read my Henning verse book. I'll self, I'm self-publishing it this year, and you'll you'll read all about my thoughts on beatniks. Yes, Green Acres has a beatnik too, and Uncle Ollie, played by Don Edmonds, you know who he is. Um, it's not a great episode of the show, but it has some funny moments. Anyway, yeah, not a beatnik fan, but uh, I get the feeling that like beatniks are sort of right up um, David Lynch's alley, as it were. He'd go downtown with them, if you know what I mean. So yeah, it's, uh, overall, it's a good episode. It's a, it's a cluttered episode. It's a strange episode. I can't help feeling that if the show had gone on longer, some of the odd structures of the shows and some of the odd things in the shows may have been explained and fleshed out more. Uh, so... Um, I almost want to say it's almost like like if, if the first time you if you read like early um, Silver Age are, the, are those what the fifties comics are like Flash comics when Barry Allen first appears or you read the early Spider Mans like where they amass the Rogues Gallery very very quickly their amazing Rogues Galleries and like the first time you meet the Vulture it's it's so quick and the first time with Mirror Master it's a quick thing and then but but the more they meet them the more you get background the more you get little asides the more you learn more about 
the villain and what they're up to and why they're doing it, this, that, and the other thing. You know, the first time the Vulture appears, you don't expect him to be one of uh, Spider-Man's most popular villains. The first time Mirror Master appears, he's just kind of goofy. You know, but they are very popular, very important. They've been around for decades. Uh, Doctor Doom, sort of the same way over at Fantastic Four, you know. uh, And I'm wondering if, like, they sort of put these seven episodes together, just uh, flying by the sea of their pants, putting them together, having fun, and if they'd gone on later... Um, things would have been fleshed out. Maybe we would have learned more about the voice disintegrator. Maybe we would have gone downtown. You know, maybe we'd learn more about Mr. Zablotnik and, and Mr. Gotchik there. You know, we would have learned more. Um, and we should have. Um, I mean, obviously, the show could have just kept hitting us with new stuff week after week after week after week until it exhausted itself. But with something like this, you hit us with the new stuff, the new stuff, the new stuff, the new stuff, and then eventually you start going back to the old stuff and developing it or changing it or giving you a sequel, you know what I mean? And so I'd like to think that if there was another season of two or three or four of on the air, it would have done that. It would have expanded upon the, not only the characters, but some of the strange things we've seen throughout the Ducks for example, um, what is his name? Um, the, uh, the, the big guy, um, Shorty, Shorty. Um, he's, he's after a duck throughout the whole episode. And the end, the last time you see Shorty, he looks into the room of that one guy who's barely in the show, the guy with the glasses, and he's in a room filled with ducks. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I imagine it has to do with Doodles, the duck from a few episodes ago, but I love it. And, um, the duck was not sitting the when the executives are watching the show. The duck was not sitting with them, and uh, so that yeah, Shorty's thing in this episode is um, yeah he uh, he's looking for a duck and he falls from the from the catwalks up above s- many feet right in front of of Lester and the voice disintegrator guy and um, Nicole, and he gets up and walks away. Uh, so I think Shorty is indestructible, possibly. I'm not sure, but. Anyway, and the Hurry Up twins appear briefly, um, but but they've been talking to the Beatniks, so they're like, you know, like, like, hurry up, like, hurry up. And there's, there's so much going on in the show. I'm going to stop talking right now. I think, I, I think I've gone over my, um, my uh, overboard slightly, maybe, but it's the last episode. So did I like On the Air? Yes, I did, quite a bit. Did I love it? That's going to require another viewing. Um, it's definitely worth watching. It's zany, and it's crazy, and maybe a little frustrating. Um, and you'll get to the end of the seven episodes and be like, hmm, I'm not sure. But thank goodness they're there. And thank goodness we can watch them. So uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm just going to... I'm just, This is the end of the episode. This is the end of On the Air. And uh, next, uh, next episode we'll have a brand new old show uh, popping up. And uh, it's one I think I've been promising, maybe not out loud, but in my mind, to cover for a while. And so hopefully it will be a good time. You'll enjoy it. But I'm just going to wrap it up here. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this. And I'm just going to play you one more clip from On the Air. This is near the end of Episode 7 here when Betty um, comes to a bit of a realization. Uh, when they keep, they keep pushing her back. Uh, the show is falling apart. Lester's voice has been disintegrated. Mr. Gotchik and Mr. Zablotnik just want to hand the Beatnik woman more shoes. She's dancing around. And they keep pushing Betty out there to do something. And uh, this is uh, Betty's, the, the final, Betty's final words for On the Air. And I'll talk to you all next time. Oh, it's baby. Boots. Boots. Boots.
remember their mother's name. And if you forget, just sing a song. Mother, I love you so much, Mother. Everyone should always call their mother. I think everyone in America should call their mother right now. Beatnik? Bootmaker! Beatnik meets Bootmaker! Ah.